the Gulf Injustice Podcast, the official podcast of Detained in Dubai with Raja Stern. The thing that hurts the most is um, I feel that he holds like pain that he's somehow failed his children. I feel like, to be honest, I was kind of unaware of the seriousness of what was actually happening. I think my dad doesn't want me to worry. I, I know he doesn't want to stress me out. Those are some powerful words we start off today from Leila Sarlacc, daughter of Joe Sarlacc, an Australian citizen who's been detained in Doha for a number of years now. So thank you for listening to Gulf Injustice podcast. Uh, to give you a little bit of idea of this case and the background, uh, Joe, he's now 70. Um, he ventured to Doha in 2004 uh, to open a company called Clearspan Technology in Qatar. Now, according to the investment rules at the time, uh, Joe needed to appoint a local partner who would have 100% ownership of the company. Uh, that was unavoidable. So Joe selected Sheikh Khalid Faha Mohammed Saud Al Thani, a member of the royal family and someone who he thought would be completely worthy of his trust. However, when Sheikh Khalid began to experience personal financial troubles, he did not hesitate to pillage the company's accounts and divert responsibility for the embezzlement to Joe. Soon after, Joe was arrested for company checks that were returned for insufficient funds and charged with bouncing the checks. This is a crime in Qatar. And we've seen in the UAE that people are sentenced to more than three years imprisonment per check that bounces regardless of the circumstances. So to summarise that, Joe's partner, who's a member of the royal family, embezzled funds from the company, which he had 100% control of, uh, without Joe's authorisation and without Joe's input. That then left the company without funds to cover checks that had been written uh, before the embezzlement occurred. So when these people presented their checks, as you would in, in normal business and as they were expected to do, the funds in the company were no longer there. But because Joe's name was on the check, he became responsible uh, for the lack of funds, which is essentially seen as fraud in Qatar. And this is where Joe found himself facing a chaotic judicial system. He was sentenced to around seven years in prison and there were more bounce checks in the pipeline. But in a particularly brazen act of hypocrisy, Sheikh Khalid opened a new case against him for cheating the company. And as a result of these multiple cases, Joseph was facing the rest of his life in prison. And meanwhile, Clearspan Technology, the company that he founded and managed, continued to operate under the very man who allegedly uh, pilfered his accounts. So Joe had been imprisoned in Qatar, facing a series of legal cases against him for crimes that he didn't commit and for actions that weren't his actions but were someone else's in a legal system that automatically is going to favour 
members of the Qatari royal family over a foreign citizen who is not really seen as important. And certainly the waster that a member of the royal family has over the police and over the enforcement and over the judicial system, and waster is a term that means influence and clout, certainly Joe is not going to stand any chance, any real chance of proving his innocence. And in fact, it's even insulting to the royal family to accuse a member of the royal family of having committed embezzlement. No doubt he could be charged with additional crimes if he did do that. So Joe had suffered an incredibly lengthy process in which he sought to prove his innocence through the Qatari courts in a system rigged against him with a member of the royal family with lawyers who simply didn't want to take his case based on who was the opposing party. And did the Australian embassy want to get involved? Not, not so much. When businessmen are detained abroad, it's much harder to motivate a foreign government to get involved for their citizen. And we've done this in many cases. We've activated uh, the Malaysian government, Canadian government, the British, the American, and even the Australian in other uh, cases. But they certainly take their time. It's not like responding to a tourist arrest for alcohol or sex outside marriage that gets on every media outlet from um, Sky News to BBC to CNN and across the world. This is a business case that is not as interesting for major consumption as a tourist case. However, the effects that even a slight coverage of media have on a case like this really does a lot against Qatar because even a little bit of press on a business case is going to affect business and commerce groups and individual entrepreneurs and investors who do seek out the information before investing in a country, who make the effort to research conditions before and conditions and risks before uh, going to the country to open their business or invest or expand, inject funds into the economy. And certainly with our efforts, we've um, increased our, our efforts really over the past few years in advising from the top level down. So not only governments, but also trade organisations, accountants, um, lawyers and uh, investment advisors who entrepreneurs and business people seek recommendations from, more industry specialists. And once information like this about Joe Sarlacc heads to those sorts of groups, it filters down and it affects the ability of Qatar to recruit investors and recruit entrepreneurs and business um, endeavours, joint business endeavours. It affects their ability to go forward with that. A tourist case, sure, that will affect their tourism and it it's very heavily in the media for a short period of time until it's resolved. But a business case will affect their bottom line, regardless of whether it gets the same amount of attention, and in some cases it does, but regardless of how much media attention 
it gets. It gets enough to the right people and to the people who are advising investors, entrepreneurs um, to partner with Qatar, essentially. The media didn't have an appetite at one point for cases related to debt, debt hostages who had failed to repay their bank loans and then were kept as hostages within the Gulf nations due to the criminalisation of debt. But the media now has a growing appetite for this as it becomes more and more prevalent and more known and more of a problem. And it was the same with entrepreneurs and businessmen, investors. At first, the public didn't have much sympathy for people who they saw had left their home country in search of glamour and gold and diamonds and millions. They didn't have sympathy for these uh, tycoons as they saw them. But now what we're seeing is they are real victims and they are the largest percentage or portion of victims who are foreign nationals who end up in prison in the Middle East. And that baseline has grown the interest from investment groups, from lawyers, from accountants, from conferences, and also from governments and media has really expanded as we see just how prevalent it is and how abused these people are and how hush, hush it's been, how it's been brushed under the carpet by foreign governments and by the media and usually is not spoken about in most circles who are actually in investment groups who have historically been promoting the Gulf for their own vested interests, um, promoting the Gulf as a, a great, safe and new environment to make money. And one thing about Australians is they're very active players when it comes to sad cases like Joe's and we saw how the whole country was active over Hakim Al-Arabi's arrest in Thailand. We saw how they followed closely the cases of Scott Richards and Kat Lahoy, Australian nationals who were detained in the UAE. And then we also saw them follow cases like Marcus Lee and Matt Joyce, who again were business people from Australia who were jailed in the UAE. And the Australian government actually sought to have them released and actively pursued justice on their behalf. Um, so it doesn't come as a surprise that we received so many calls of support for Joe. And most of the callers just wanted to pass on their good wishes uh, for Joe and our team and say they won't be travelling to Doha for the World Cup in 2022, so long as Joe remains imprisoned. Well, Joe has been released from prison. He's not in the detention facility anymore where he suffered um, some quite horrendous treatment. But now he's basically locked up in a small uh, apartment where he can't venture out, where he doesn't have family, where he doesn't have a passport or an ID card, where he can't function normally because you need your ID card and, and passport to function in Qatar. So the deprivation of it means that he's very limited in what he can do there. But not only that, he has no income, he uh, has no access to medical care, he can't get his prescription medicines and nor can he go to the hospital. And he has, you have to remember, had a lot of uh, medical issues in uh, Qatar, a lot of them caused by the detention itself and not having access to doctors, medications that he needs and uh, basic health care or in the event of an emergency, um, access to hospitals 
it's extremely disturbing and a situation that Australian government has been aware of for a long, long time and really haven't negotiated a solution for all of these issues very well at all. And in fact, they seem out of their depth. Australians are seeing more and more that investing, working or visiting Middle Eastern countries can pose a huge threat. The legal systems have not been modernised to account for the growing number of foreign visitors and, and this can be an absolute recipe for grand-scale violations. Now, Joe's had a lot of faith and hope for his freedom and praying that when someone listens, they'll review his case and see the injustice. Sometimes he's hopeful and other times he sounds absolutely broken. It's a roller coaster of emotions when someone's been jailed after a false allegation. It's much easier for prisoners to accept when they have committed the crime, when they've actually committed the crime. But Joe is being punished unfairly. He's become increasingly ill. He's been hospitalised several times with heart-related issues. And if the government doesn't intervene and assist Joe, um, I mean, his family assumes and fears that he'll die in Doha. Joe's already been terribly mistreated and systematically victimised, and his release is long overdue. I've told Joe to hang in there, and we're all looking forward to catching up with him in Queensland when he's finally released, and we are hopeful for that. And we're hopeful that the Australian government is going to put enough pressure on the Qatari authorities to review his case, because if they review it, they are going to see that he has been a victim of abuse here. I think with enough pressure, the Qatari authorities will ultimately free him. And that's if there's enough public pressure. And at this point, Qatar has been resilient to any form of pressure or uh, attempts to contact them, attempts to uh, pressure them into reviewing the case. They've not responded to calls from uh, media and from ourselves in Australia, the, ambas the Qatari ambassador has not responded, nor has the Qatari ambassador in the UK responded to calls about other British nationals in similar positions. And this is highly detrimental to Qatar. With the World Cup approaching in 2022, Qatar should be mindful to ensure that foreigners are not being unfairly detained they simply cannot risk the public backlash growing over the Sarlacc case. And Qatar is making steps towards preserving human rights while other Mid Middle Eastern countries are failing. But this has changed recently with the UAE having announced modernisation of certain laws in the country, including um, the elimination of the need of a local partner and uh, cohabitation between unmarried partners decriminalised, de as well as a, a few other benefits that they've recently announced. So now they're back to a much more competitive level and Qatar certainly could do with stepping up its efforts to appear and to be um, a country that stands up for human rights and doesn't allow legal abuse. If Qatar were to do that, they would lead the Middle East in creating an environment where investors and tourists and ex expats could feel quite safe and protected and they could have an even playing field in the courts in Qatar and the elimination of the inability of people like Joe to obtain 
independent legal advice and to um, be able to defend themselves properly in court and to be able to present their case in an expeditious way so that they're not stuck in the country or stuck in prison for four years and then stuck in the country indefinitely until this red tape is fixed. Without intervention now, Qatar will see, just as the UAE has seen, that jailing innocent foreigners leads to the loss of tourism and investment. And then drastic measures don't make up for, as they haven't in the UAE, these recent announcements over some legal changes, they have not made up for the 10 years worth of abuses against foreign nationals that have been in all of the international media. You can't simply turn around and announce that you've made some changes to the law and everything's okay now. No, because it comes, it's not even just the law that is the issue here. It's the culture, the cultural attitude towards foreigners, that it's okay that they suffer this kind of abuse. They're foreigners. It's, it's this kind of underlying cultural attitude that has got the UAE into trouble and continues to get them into trouble. And no ramming through of any legislation is going to protect foreigners from that attitude. And when you see that laws themselves are not followed, you might have a law in Qatar that says that the circumstances surrounding a bounce check legally should be taken into account by the courts. But if the courts don't follow the law and if the lawyers don't defend the defendants, and if you're unable to achieve that fair trial, well, then the laws are irrelevant. And that's what Qatar's going to see. They're going to see if they continue to jail innocent foreigners or keep them in the country, disallow them the ability to travel home like they have with Joe, who's been stuck there, um, then they're going to lose tourism and they're going to lose investment. Now, having written to the ambassador of Qatar in Australia, I said to him in a letter, as you're undoubtedly aware, the UAE has come under much international scrutiny over unfair detentions and human rights violations against foreign nationals, which has caused many investors and visitors to avoid the country and has been counterproductive to their efforts to promote itself as safe and modern. I am aware that Qatar has made some significant steps to improve human rights and lead other Gulf nations in its endeavours, including taking circumstances in relation to bounce checks into account in judicial proceedings. But in practice, there are still obstacles in ensuring this happens. Mr Joseph Sarlak has unfortunately slipped between the cracks throughout proceedings and has been convicted for bouncing checks which, with cases that will likely see him die in prison. Mr Sarlak has signed the cheques, but outside of his control, his local business sponsor had removed funds from the company bank accounts, which caused the cheques to bounce. Mr Sarlak had no say and no control over the events that took place, but is being punished regardless. Mr Sarlak is a 68-year-old man, now he's 70, so this is a two-year-old letter. Mr Sarlak is a 68-year-old man who is suffering from a multitude of health issues. I then go on to describe them. And it's a long list. He has been in and out of hospital several times and is struggling to get the treatments he needs. His health is rapidly deteriorating and meanwhile his family, especially his Melbourne-based daughter, fear they will never see him again. I would be delighted to discuss Mr Sarlacc's situation and welcome the government of Qatar to investigate his dire case and would be happy to provide any additional information that you may require or to discuss this by phone or in person. Now that 
letter uh, went to the ambassador of Australia as well as uh, obviously the Australian embassies as well and Channel 9 News I believe also contacted him. So that's you know, an invitation to the Qatar authorities to review a case of a man, and you know, an elderly man who's suffering incredible health issues and who has clearly been a victim of injustice. And the Qatar embassy and Qatar authorities showed no interest whatsoever in even looking at the case and that, or, or even responding to calls to do so. Now, if the Australian government had pushed them to do so, as as we have the Canadian government doing for Andre Gautier in the UAE, if the Australian government had pushed them to respond to that letter or to organise a meeting or, or to review the case with them or speak with their counterparts, let them know that Joe's case was important to them, then we'd have a resolution by now. So it's really the fact that the Australian government has denied Joe um, their attention and their time. And to me, that is, well, and legally speaking even, this is a failure in their duty of care to their citizens. This is not a situation they can turn a blind eye to and say we're not going to get involved with Joe's case. This is a, a legal international problem and we don't get involved. This is not that type of a case. This is the type of a case where Australia owes a duty of care to Joe to ensure that he is receiving a fair trial, a fair process, that every opportunity to intervene in a case of injustice has been explored. And we see other governments doing it. We've even seen the Australian government doing it. But it's just a matter of whether they can put in the effort, whether they want to put in the effort in this case and how easily they are turned away by Qatar authorities. We don't expect it to be easy. We don't expect them to turn up and simply, you know, 20 days later, Joe's released, but we do expect them to make a substantial effort for their citizen, or otherwise Joe has real legal recourse in Australia for the embassy failing in their duty of care. They didn't warn him that when he went to Qatar that this could happen. I don't see the warnings on the Australian travel advisory that if you go to Qatar, you could be jailed if you know, in in this circumstance for a crime that you haven't committed and that you won't be given a fair trial and that you won't be able to defend yourself and you will be deprived of medical care and treatment. This is not in the warnings that the Australian government should be giving citizens. And if they haven't given them in the past, they certainly need to start giving them now. But without helping Joe and without doing everything they can, they're certainly legally failing in their legal obligation to their citizen. And what we're finding is that Qatar is investing significant funds into international media outlets, into press, into education, into universities, and into lobbying the governments in the United States, in the United Kingdom, and undoubtedly in Australia. There is also significant investment into private commercial operations outside Qatar, which is another way for them to obtain more power and influence in foreign nations. And as Qatar seeks to expand and increase its international influence, we are seeing an increase in reports from victims of injustice in the country and from victims of violence and human rights violations. So we have Joe Sarlacc, we have Ranald Crook and Jonathan Nash, British nationals. And then we have Connor Howard, a Scottish man arrested in Greece over an abusive Interpol notice. And Qatar is one of the 
countries who are most likely to abuse its membership to the Interpol database reporting people to Interpol for the purpose of extortion, punishment, vindictive reasons. And this practice has seen a number of foreign nationals, particularly British nationals in these circumstances, a number of foreign nationals arrested in European countries on the basis of these abusive Interpol red notices. Now, what happens here is Qatar is essentially, its lawlessness within Qatar is one thing, but then when they are able to have access to a database that is used outside of their jurisdiction, what we have is an extension, an expansion of Qatar's borders, which takes them all the way to Australia, to Europe, to America. Because if Qatar can use Interpol's database to have someone arrested abroad for false pretenses, false reasons, you know, they, they should not have had that Interpol notice allowed in the first place. Interpol should not be accepting notices that are abusive, but they do. Um, Qatar has essentially been able to extend its power of arrest beyond its borders. And this is a problem that we're seeing with other Middle Eastern countries too, Saudi and the UAE, through, and Bahrain, as we saw with Hakim Al-Arabi, through their membership with Interpol, they're able to extend their injustice and their arbitrary arrests, their arbitrary detentions, their human rights violations, they're able to extend them beyond their own borders and into the West. Now, this is something that absolutely we we deal with all the time and we need to have that addressed. But the fact that they're willing to abuse a database and have someone arrested for vindictive, spiteful or extortive reasons outside of their borders might give us an indication of what they'd be willing to do within their borders when it's only them answerable. Australia is one of those countries that has a lot of government per head of population. And uh, it's ludicrous that they haven't activated any of those government members in order to secure Joe's release. I mean, we saw the way they reacted when Hakim Al-Arabi was arrested in Thailand on the basis of a Bahrain Interpol notice. Um, they were certainly all over that one, but perhaps because it attracted so much international media. Same can be said for the women who were taken off the flight from Doha to Sydney and stripped searched. So what does it require? What does it take for the Australian government to be involved and to stand up for their citizens? International outrage, it would seem, and a lot of it. Now, if, if an individual doesn't attract that sort of press interest, that media interest, then the Australian government seemingly has no interest either. Now, over a long period of time, Joe has managed to solve a lot of the legal cases against him. That should never have happened in the first place, that he shouldn't have to deal with at all. But he has another case hearing on the 20th of December. And for this one, we've asked the Australian ambassador to become involved in this. So we've written to Jonathan Moore and we've uh, copied in Daniel Ross, who's also with the embassy in Doha. And I've advised them that uh, Joe's been unfairly jailed for years. He can't access his court judgments because they're only available online to people who have an ID. Joe doesn't have an ID. And yeah, obviously that's con completely absurd. I've reminded them of his health problems, which they should already be aware of in any case. Um, 
But I've also said as a, a Middle Eastern expert witness, I have zero confidence that this matter will resolve itself or that we can trust in the legal process. This case requires diplomatic intervention or we are likely to see Joseph Salak never return to Australia. Australia pushed for criminal charges to be levied against airport officers over the assault incident. Joseph Salak has suffered more than this assault. He has been jailed for four years before he was found innocent. He is now still locked up in the country in spite of this innocence. We'd appreciate an official stance and comment or supportive action from the Australian government on an urgent basis. This case has gone on long enough. The Australian government previously intervened in the cases of Matt Joyce and Marcus Lee, who were unfairly detained in Dubai. And we need the same assistance for Mr Sarlacc, who has suffered beyond belief. How can we allow Qatar to treat our citizens this way? So it will be uh, intriguing to see how the ambassador responds to this. But like, like with the Canadians who are supporting André Gautier at this time, like we, we've seen with the British Embassy and Matthew Hedges, this is what we expect of our embassies in cases of injustice. But now let's chat to Andrew Gordon, who's a long-term friend. I believe he's known Joe for 30 years or so. So he's a long-term friend from Australia. He's outraged at this situation. And he sees the unfairness in the treatment of foreign nationals versus uh, local business party partners, and especially those who are members of the royal family. So we're very appreciative Andrew has decided to join us on today's Gulf Injustice podcast. So uh, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Um, could you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you know um, Joe? Um, I've known Joe for about 35 years. We had kids of a age. Mm -hmm. And, um, okay, so you've known him for 35 years. Have you stayed in touch with his family directly or are you talking to him in Qatar yourself? Um, I've, I've been talking to him. I have had communication with some of his family, particularly his brother in Iran and his wife um, in both uh, Doha and Iran. Okay. And uh, I mean, what did you think when this whole problem uh, came to light? What was your first impression? It's hard to believe that uh, under Sharia law, I believe that's what uh, the situation is. Um, somebody is three years jail for bouncing a check and 10 years jail for bankruptcy. Now he wasn't uh, bankrupt, but it's hard to believe that that's the law um, in, in Qatar. Yeah, I mean, even, even if it's not his fault and even if he didn't go bankrupt, you know, that, that's one thing and that's what's happened essentially. He's been you know, put in this position uh, unfairly and due to his local business partners. But even if he did go bankrupt and even if those checks did bounce, if there was no fraud behind or no intent to defraud anyone behind those bounced checks, he shouldn't end up in prison anyway. I mean, Qatar is unique actually in the Gulf. In the UAE, for example, a bounced check is, uh, the result for a bounced check is a, a three year prison sentence, but that's their law in Qatar. They're quite unique. They're supposed to take the circumstances into account surrounding the bounce check. So if 
you bounce a check, but there was no intent to defraud or, you know, business has gone bad. Essentially, the courts are supposed to take that into account when they're sentencing. But what we find is practically speaking and on the ground in Qatar, that's not how it happens at all. So I think in Joe's case, the law hasn't been applied correctly. And this is not the kind of process that should therefore be let, left up to the Qatar judiciary. Australia shouldn't be turning a blind eye when clearly the courts are not even following their own laws. Surely this requires the kind of diplomatic intervention from the Australian government that we would expect when there's a clear violation of Joe's human rights in this respect. Um, I mean, you've spoken to Joe this whole time and even probably while he was in prison, I assume, and I, I've spoken to him while he was detained as well, and he wasn't doing very well. He was very unhealthy. He had to go to hospital many times. He was deprived of medical attention. I mean, what did you make of that? Well, firstly, from what I know of Joe, I don't believe for one minute that there was ever any intention to defraud. Um, Joe has made a mistake. Some funds haven't come in in time for a check for three checks to be cashed or, or um, deposited. And um, Joe is not a healthy man. Um, he's not a young man. Uh, the, the, the situation of shoving him in jail under circumstances that were not fraudulent, were not dishonest, are just cruel, cruel and heartless. I think that Joe was faced with a business partner who had power and Joe, we have to understand that when, uh, when we're in uh, a country like Qatar, we're considered to be infidels. We are insignificant. We are simply factory fodder and workers and really human rights don't apply to infidels in a situation where Islamic faith is also the law. I mean, what we have termed this or, or what is commonly referred to as wasta, and that's the influence that the locals, the local Qataris in this case, exude over the judicial system over the police and uh, and generally speaking they have connections within the royal family and in this case in particular which gives them that power you don't see um, in a case like this that Joe could successfully argue his position in court because he won't be given a fair hearing he's a foreigner in Qatar and Qatar hasn't you know they, they want to attract Australians to the country. They want to attract skilled labor, professionals, entrepreneurs to develop their country, but they don't afford them that fairness when it comes to uh, dispute resolution or wrongful allegations from people who are, as you say, in a more powerful position. And Joe Sarlacc, he doesn't stand a chance, not without pressure from the Australian government. I mean, that's, as you say, Joe, he hasn't done anything wrong. And I've, I've reviewed his cases in detail. And in fact, the courts in Qatar themselves can't see any wrongdoing. But that doesn't stop him from being dragged again and again and again through the judicial system. And again, in, in another case I'm dealing with in Qatar, we, we have the courts finding these people innocent. 
but the accusers keep taking cases against them, opening cases, just to keep them in the country. And surely by now, Joe, having gone through as much as he can of the legal process, showing that he's innocent of the allegations against him, surely by now he would be released, and surely with diplomatic pressure from Australia. And surely Qatar, as a country, would want to um, release Joe because it is a clear violation of human rights and it's not doing any good for their reputation, which has been under fire of late. Now, if Qatar wants to continue to attract investment and attract skilled laborers, it has, it has to provide a safe infrastructure to protect them against legal abuse from uh, local business partners. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. I see that Qatar has really um, been under fire from Gulf partners recently during this dispute and have stepped up their resilience to criticism. And that criticism, not just from Gulf neighbors, but from countries like Australia over human rights violations. They don't take this criticism as seriously as one would hope from an ally of Australia. But uh, I mean, I know for a fact that, that Joe was just absolutely doing terribly in prison there. He shouldn't have been there, but he was completely denied of, of medical attention. And he had a whole list. It was maybe two pages long. Um, and uh, I read through it all. I didn't even understand half of it, the, the health problems that he was suffering in the prison. And a lot of them caused by the fact that he was in that detention facility and simply couldn't access anything. Now, his... He's on bail now, so he's outside of the prison finally, but he's not allowed to leave the country. And he can't access, again, medical attention in Qatar because he doesn't have his passport. Uh, he can't renew his passport under the circumstances and he doesn't have a local Qatari ID. So again, he can't even seek healthcare. He can't seek medical hospital attention when he's needed. And he's really suffering. He's just in this, you know, he's locked up in, his, uh, in a small place all day on his own, not with his family. The Australian Embassy, I, I just asked him two days ago, what's the Australian Embassy doing to help you? Nothing, he said. So that's pretty shocking when I know the ambassadors for a fact there. They're with their counterparts, their Qatari counterparts all the time. They're talking to them all the time. There's no reason why they shouldn't be bringing up the case of Joe Sarlacc. I mean... You, did you see the, um, the recent case of the uh, Australian flight where the women were taken off? off yeah, of, of course you did. So the women were taken off the flight. They accused the authorities of uh, sexual abuse, actually. And the Australian government really went harsh on Qatar. And Qatar's issued an apology. And they've even gone so far as to uh, prosecute the people who uh, perpetrated this uh, abuse. But what has the Australian government, I mean, they, they stood up and down and shouted and yelled about this situation. And of course they should, and they had every right to do so. But we're talking about another Australian citizen who's been locked up for uh, four years and with no path to return to Australia. The Australian government is fully aware of this case. It's been reported all over the media. Maurice Payne has been informed. I've contacted no end of Australian uh, diplomats. So it seems very strange to me that they, they haven't helped so much. What do you think of that? Joe's problem is that it's not a fashionable political cause. Because he's a businessman, there's going to be little sympathy. Ladies on a flight who are taken off and sexually abused in such a way, um, 
it's it's a very high profile and an interesting case whereas somebody like joe people shrug their shoulders and say well he's a businessman what was he doing there in the first place there's little sympathy and so like i say it's not a fashionable political cause i don't believe he had extreme difficulty getting anything done about a passport um now he's having difficulty getting out of the place he needs a passport and an exit visa he needs to just get out of there and bureaucracy is holding him up we have no rights in in uh, qatar in doha to think that the world cup is going to uh to qatar and these um these people hate to use those words these people behave in such a socially unacceptable way you know there are there are no human rights um it's totally acceptable to them because what i said to you before is accurate we're considered to be infidels we're insignificant and that's joe's that's joe's situation and yeah you're right the australian government should be making a bit more noise realistically um it would just be dogs barking i really don't believe that they would have any influence the only chance was a lot more publicity at the time when the world cup soccer um was being awarded and people could have a look at this place and say wow do you realize that if you're walking in the street in doha and you're with your partner and not married and she kisses you on the cheek that somebody can call the morality police and have you arrested are you aware of this and we want to go there and play soccer play the world cup no 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 they need to clean the, the up the act they they need to establish some um, human rights it's, a, it's an interesting country because it has the same laws that we've been criticizing uh in the uae for the past decade and the media has gone crazy about sex outside marriage and all sorts of charges in the uae but the uh, qatar has very much the similar laws to the uae as well but we don't hear about them and i think that's largely because there hasn't been a massive uh, tourism push from Qatar. It's not exactly the kind of destination of choice for a holiday that we think, but um, the transit flights are getting more and more popular, particularly from Australia, uh, stopping in Doha on the way to London, for example, it's a very popular uh, option. And that's why we've seen, you know, things like this, uh, this sexual abuse recently as well. But I also, I don't know whether you saw, but we also had a a Scottish man who was en route from Australia to uh, Scotland and he stopped in Doha just for a couple of hours. He was arrested on uh, because he was carrying a herb grinder, which they thought, you know, well, this is closely related to marijuana use. But it was a perfectly legal herb grinder. He was then released. He was allowed to go back to Scotland and um, they put him on the Inter Interpol red notice uh, list. So he was then arrested a year later in Greece on the basis of this herb grinder. And that kind of behavior just shows, I mean, Number one, the legal system is rogue. The enforcement system is rogue. They do have laws, for example, as, as you mentioned, the laws that would affect tourism, uh, that would affect tourists if they went 
to this uh, World Cup and they drank alcohol or they uh, stayed in a hotel room with someone they're not married with and someone actually called the police, it would technically be a crime. But whether they enforce that or not, we don't know. Uh, that's yet to be tested. We've, we've received some tourism calls, but it hasn't been largely uh, enforced as we've seen in the UAE. But again, that could be simply because there's not that many tourists yet. And I think, but the arbitrary enforcement is very concerning because then you have people like Joe, uh, obviously, as you said, a business case. So uh, it's not as interesting, you know, I mean, tourism is obviously a, a much more interesting topic for the media than uh, businessmen who run into these problems. But it, the tourism cases exemplify how randomly the, um, the laws are enforced in the country. And as we see with Joe, there are laws that should have protected him, but they didn't. And why? Because his business partners who wanted him, uh, wanted to make complaints against him um, and, and kind of set him up in this circumstance as well. Um, well, they were able to manipulate the law. They were able to ensure that it, you know, the, the laws weren't actually followed and that when it came to the judicial process that he would certainly end up in prison. It was beneficial to them. So that's really concerning. It, it's very much still an underdeveloped nation. It's a rogue uh, law enforcement procedure and people are in danger if they get into that legal system. There's no point saying stay out of trouble because there's nothing much you can do to stay out of trouble. Joe did everything right. He didn't do anything wrong in this situation. He did everything that any normal investor or entrepreneur business person uh, with ethics and integrity would do in their own business and uh, and look where he's wound up and that's hardly a testament to promoting Qatar whether it's for FIFA 2020, uh, 2022 or whether it's for some sort of mutual trade agreement a uh, commerce commerce promotion I know UAE and Australia have recently um, increased their ties as far as um, commerce and promotion in the business community is concerned and hopefully they're not going to do that with Qatar while this still goes on but, uh, as far as Australian government getting involved and what could they do, how could they influence the outcome of this? Well, I can tell you that the Australian government stepped in in other cases in the UAE. They stepped in with Matt Joyce and Marcus Lee, who had been um, sentenced uh, in, in the UAE, and they managed to secure their release. And they've done so for a number of citizens in similar situations. So I don't think, and we see the Canadian government doing it, the UK government, we work with, uh, we've worked with the Malaysian government as well. So we've seen other countries and America, we've seen them step in and help their citizens. And we've even seen Australia do it too. But the current government, the current ambassadors are not doing enough if they did and they pushed the Qatar government for a resolution on Joe Salak's case. And in fact, explained to Qatar that this is in their best interests. There's, you know, it's not even in Qatar's best interest to have Joe Salak in the country when he's done nothing wrong. It's a, a terrible example to other would-be investors. It's a terrible example to their relationship or how they respect and treat Australian nationals. So I think it is in their best interests um, to step in and have a look at Joe's case and just see, has he been held in the country fairly or is there anything that we can do to speed up this uh, bureaucratic nightmare that's keeping him there? And certainly the Australian government would, I think, benefit from pushing Joe Salak's case up the ladder. And they should care about their citizens because if they don't push this in Qatar, if they don't push Joe's case, which is so clearly an example of injustice, if they don't push Joe's case, we're going to see this again and again and again. We're going to see Qatar abusing 
Australian nationals again and again. And it, it, it's kind of embarrassing for Australia if they allow that to happen. They stood up for the women on that flight. And I don't think we're going to see something similar to that happen for a long time, uh, if ever again. And if they stood up for Joe Sarlacc, well, great. Then Qatar is going to know that Australia cares about their citizens. And hopefully in the future, we won't see repeat situations like this. It's a new relationship. It's a new country. It's new for Australians to be going there and, and perhaps investing and uh, growing their businesses in Qatar. So I think if they, if they encourage that relationship by treating people well and by addressing clear cases of injustice or where a country is really standing up for their citizens, it would be better for everyone in the long run. But uh, Joe's only chance is what you're doing. Publicity, embarrass the Australian government and uh, maybe get some action out of them through um, media, media pressure, and as I say, embarrass them into doing something. Otherwise, they sit on their hands, they've got meetings to go to, they've got soccer to go to, you know, they've got um, um, champagne and canape uh, functions to attend. And someone like Joe hasn't got a snowball's chance in hell unless we can embarrass the, the Australian government, get some media. You're doing the most fantastic job, Radha. This is Joe's best chance. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I talk to him regularly and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hopefully uh, celebrating with him in Australia and his family in the, the very short term. I mean, he's... He's so close to being released. It just needs that push over the, over the edge and he can have his life back. He's quite close. It's just not happening. Who knows? He might still be close in 12 months' time. Well, that's it. I mean, he's so close, but without that push and without that media attention, without that government intervention, so close can just stay so close forever. You know, it really can just stagnate and never go anywhere. And, uh, and, and people, and the, this, kind of, this kind of attitude also prevents people from going to the media or go, you know, seeking assistance. They think that they're very close. And, and this can be people in prison as well. They're still in prison. They think they'll be able to negotiate things. They think that they'll, or, or they've been promised even, that they'll be free soon enough. Or perhaps the embassy has, has told them to just sit tight. It's not going to be long, not, not too long. And, uh, and that's sitting tight, and they're, they're sitting tight years later, and eventually they decide, that's it, I've had enough, and I'm going public on this. And that's when finally they're released. So, yeah, I mean, you can't just sit there and hope and expect that the things are going to change. I mean, this really does need to be pushed by the Australian government, absolutely. Otherwise, I'm sure, I'm sure without this push, he will still be sitting there in a year or two or more, 10 years even. I'm just not sure whether there'll be a reaction of spite that if Joe does embarrass um, the Qatari system, the Qatari uh, government, that I've just got a feeling that the, the reaction might be spite rather than cooperation. At the moment, it's laziness and it may well become you know, bureaucratic laziness and it may well become spite, just spiteful. Oh, look, this fella's making a lot of noise. Um, let's give him another six or 12 months. 
Uh, I just don't know how they think. I think that in a system where they're willing to drag women off an aeroplane and sexually assault them, that um, that a spiteful reaction is not beyond these, this same mentality. I, I would agree with that, um, that, you know, that's a huge concern is that when people do go public about the situation, that they're going to get some negative feedback or they're going to get some encouragement and they might be thrown in solitary. And certainly we have had cases where uh, going public has resulted in that person being thrown in solitary confinement and deprived of their, you know, telephone calls that they were, they were enjoying before. But that is a decision that um, most people make um, that that small risk and it is small because in the most in most cases where people go public uh, they it will help their case and it won't hinder but even if it did hinder them in the short term most of them have made that decision that that was worth it and uh, we've had people um, especially in the UAE as well which is um, a good example of how Qatar would probably respond in the same manner um, we, we've had people who have made the decision to go public about their their case and sometimes this is, has been something very severe like a, a report of torture which even talking about that would be another crime that they could be charged with because it's defaming the country so talking about that has resulted in their um uh, being thrown in solitary confinement but eventually and quite quickly actually they were released rather than having served their life sentence because it certainly got the attention of the governments to push it forward and it got the attention of the media so in those cases it was very positive i think in joe's case punishing joe is not going to do anything positive for uh, qatar and it's certainly not going to set an example to any of the governments or any of the individuals who find themselves in this situation again it's not going to tell it's not going to teach them the lesson that they shouldn't go public about their their abuse this is you know the digital age people have access to the media people have access to uh, take their claims to the united nations and in fact that's where we will be taking joe sarlacc's claim uh, if the australian government progress it very quickly and then again that's more pressure and and then you've got a terrible human rights record and Qatar has been making some effort to try to improve their human rights records and in fact we even had I, I think it was Human Rights Watch congratulating them on some of the efforts that they've made so I think hopefully if their goal is overall to become a country that competes for tourism, that can compete for uh, business relations. It would not be in their best interest to punish Joe. It would be in their best interest to look at his case and see that he has been the victim of a shabby legal process, frankly. And uh, he's, a, he's a grandfather with health problems and uh, the Australian government cares for him. The Australian people care for him and we want to see him home. Australian government doesn't care enough and I think that some publicity in Australia might well light a fire under the bum of the ambassador because I don't believe that they've made enough effort um, in, in Doha and Joe's best chance is some media in Australia and some pressure on the ambassador to do something. Put a bit of pressure on and that it needs to become a more fashionable political cause um, when people see what can happen to a businessman in uh, in Doha that's committed no crime then quite possibly that pressure and then the pressure from the Australian government on our ambassador there to actually go and do something about it go and put a bit of pressure on uh, the Qataris 
and and get him the hell out of there. That's that's his best chance. And what you're doing is his best chance, rather. Thank you. And thank, thanks for talking to me today. I'll uh, I'll speak to Joe next and uh, let you know how he is. But I mean, wonderful to have your support. I mean, what what we're doing at the moment is we're contacting various members of parliament in Australia because that's a great place to start to also put pressure on the um, the embassy in. In, in Qatar. So, and we'll also no doubt hear from the ambassador this week in Qatar and see what he's going to do now with this additional pressure and also with the court case coming up on the 20th of December. I hope that they're going to get behind Joe and really support him for that because if that goes smoothly and they put the pressure on, it's a wonderful opportunity to just close this chapter. Uh, great talking to Andrew about Joe. And I think he raises the important point that, and this is how foreign nationals are going to see it. They are going to see it that it's an us and them cultural perception coming from Middle East and nations like Qatar, that it's, it's going to be, they see us as the infidel, whether or not that's true. They certainly, as we know, uh, see that foreigners are fair game. They see that their money is fair game, that if they bring investment into the country, that it's up for grabs by locals. We see that all the time. Um, so we certainly see that it's okay culturally to abuse foreign nationals. It's okay to levy false allegations against them. It's okay to even have them jailed. There isn't a second thought so long as it benefits that person. And of course, that's not everyone. You know, of course. But it is prevalent enough that the governments should be issuing warnings to investors that if they work or open a business or open a company or partner with locals in countries like Qatar, like the UAE and Saudi, that if for whatever reason their local sponsor or partner or someone they know who's a Qatari or who's, who's a local, who's connected, who has waster, if they want to levy a false allegation against that foreign national, they'll be able to do so. And if they do, that allegation will be sufficient evidence to warrant their arrest and to have them jailed, to have them sentenced and convicted, or to have them put on the Interpol Red Notice database if they happen not to be in the country. It is this discrimination against foreign nationals in Gulf nations that is a, a wonderful argument against extradition. So when a country like Qatar seeks the extradition of a, an Australian national, for example, we would be easily able to argue to an Australian court that they shouldn't ever extradite that Australian national to Qatar because they won't get a fair trial and they can be jailed without evidence, convicted, sentenced. And this discrimination would result in an extradition being denied. If an extradition is denied on that basis, it also means that that country is not safe to visit because you're in that jurisdiction, so you've already surrendered to it. And these are certainly issues that the Gulf nations are facing and that they will have to confront if they want to attract investors, quality investors, quality people who don't want to take risks are not going to go to countries where they face those sorts of risks and where the risks are so common, where businessmen being locked up without evidence is prevalent, where business theft, theft of life savings, theft of... I mean. We'd look at Joe Sarlacc's case. Let's say he goes over there, goes over to Qatar. Let's say, for argument's sake, he invests a million dollars. 
if levied, if charges are levied against him, if he's arrested, if he faces prosecution or if he faces civil cases against him, even if they're frivolous, that is going to result in him losing his entire life savings. And when you're a 60-year-old man and you've worked your entire life for this investment and you go over to Qatar hoping to expand that and build for your family and it can all be taken away at the click of a, a finger from someone who has waster who can wield more power over the judicial system and you're not even going to get a fair trial it's theft it's absolute theft and a country can't survive with that environment continuing because it's going to occur again and again and again these abuses are going to occur again and again and they're going to hit the media they're going to become known and your country is going to be known as a place where people simply shouldn't invest And we can hear that Joe ventured to Qatar. He was hoping to build for his family. And we can hear that it was an extreme, you know, it was a pain to him. And we can hear that from uh, Lala's, uh, Layla's, Layla Salak's daughter's message where she says, you know, that he didn't want to worry them, that he was perhaps ashamed or perhaps he'd hoped that he could fix this problem without it hurting his family. So he's ventured to Qatar in hope that he can provide even better for his family and for their futures. And in fact, he's come out worse. And even even if he gets back to Australia, he's lost years of his life. He's been abused. He's been jailed. And he's lost everything that he's ever worked for in his life. And this is a common situation. This is, you know, people who do suffer this kind of legal abuse and false allegations or deliberate attempts to steal their investments, money and uh, businesses. This is the kind of sufferance as well, entire life savings. And often, you know, we have 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds and everything is gone and they have to pay very expensive lawyers, lawyers in the Gulf, you know, charging 100000 300000 for legal fees. And that's uh, you know, considered reasonable. Or, you know, lawyers also see foreign nationals as a, a nice little gold pot, so there's that. But you can hear from uh, his daughter's message just how suffering, how much suffering the family as a whole has to endure and how no amount of, you know, well, yes, obviously his freedom's worth everything and, and securing that is the number one priority. But after that, you know, the legal abuse that he's suffered, where's the compensation for that? Why, why is the Australian government not liable for failing to warn people of this situation that they know about? See, we need the Australian government to stand up and to warn citizens, to increase their warnings and let Qatar know that they're going to do that. Because that is the kind of behaviour that will cause Qatar to review whether or not they want to make that decision to allow the abuse of foreign nationals if... The official government warnings are going to increase and therefore deter more Australian nationals, investors, skilled labourers, engineers, for example, architects, from coming to the country. Who's, and, and they want their labour. They want their skills. They want to be able to use uh, foreign labour and foreign investment to build up their country. But they won't be able to do that if they continue to abuse them. Now, if the Australian government doesn't step up and do that and increase their warnings, and we'll be demanding that of them, if they don't step up and do it, well, they're complicit. They're complicit in these abuses. And they render themselves potentially liable to litigation in Australia by victims of Qatar abuse. So that's something that they're going to have to consider and weigh up the risks.
But now let's speak to Joe himself, who I want nothing more than to see him return to Australia and to raise a glass to his freedom. So Joe, great to hear from you as always. So thanks for joining us today. This has been quite a long battle for you. Uh, you went to Qatar, was it uh, 2014? Uh, no, 2004. 2004, um, goodness gracious. That's correct. So we're talking yes, a long uh, time now. In uh... Long, long time. I went primarily uh, to design and build aircraft hangar for His Excellency Sheikh Hamad at that time for his private aircraft and we won this uh, tender internationally while I was in Australia and I said we will go and get this job done and go and what had happened when I came and we did that job they were very satisfied with us and uh, which this particular facilities was running by uh, Qatar Airway and Qatar Airway right gave us but more work and more and uh, sort of I thought well as a quiet place I stay here uh, for a little while and the company started to expand and here I am end of the day uh, the disaster happened with the sponsor which is now these things I was aware of uh, before when I came here I, I think it's been company. it's been a huge shock to a lot of people actually these you know, you, you just wouldn't expect it when you go off to Qatar. You wouldn't expect that you could ever be put in that position where, you know, checks that you wrote, you were actually jailed for, even though, you know, you'd, you'd literally done nothing wrong. So no one would possibly expect that that could happen when they go to a country like Qatar. And, you know, Qatar is sort of marketed as a, a modern country to go to it's uh, set up for entrepreneurs it's set up for business people and uh, you know we have human rights watch saying they've got a fantastic human rights record uh, just a couple of years ago so it's really surprising um, that that this would happen to a lot of people anyway and I think it's just not talked about enough it's certainly not published in the media and I think until your case, in fact, I don't think Australia had ever heard of anything like this going wrong. Could you think of anything? Well, yeah, uh, that is correct. I thought the same as a peaceful, quiet place. Um, uh, I wasn't expected uh, what had happened. Uh, but now, what I know now, uh, another thing I was... Uh, very naive was that because I've been so busy inside the airport with the projects going to office in the morning and go to the site and then come home I've never been socialized much with outside world or having any other projects to gain a local experience so I took everything in a good faith and uh, everything was running smoothly to this a sponsor ran himself into some problem and he didn't needed money and I salvaged him a couple of times by paying monthly so get him out of trouble with the bank and in the end this last project which is uh, designed and built a simulated building for uh, 
777 aircraft, uh, Commodate 6 simulator. And the project almost was finished, but 97% uh, was completed as per Qatar Airways uh, consultants. Mm. Then he thought is maybe, you know, uh, uh, job is finished, you can run a company and uh, confiscate my house, uh, get uh, all the equipment and whatever is left, you can uh, get the rest of the fund and put me in a jail and he thought maybe I've got a lot of money in Australia. That's what he said. When I was in the prison, I contacted him and he said uh, to me, I'll make sure you're never going to see the sunlight again. And whenever, whenever you have money, then come and talk to me. So as I say, he thought I got a lot of money also in Australia. I will bring and give it. Mm. That, and, that's uh, that's not surprising at all, because what we see, uh, yeah. you know, we see people being put on Interpol to extort funds out of them, and these Interpol notices can be put from local business partners or sponsors or individuals in Qatar who see that person, yeah. that foreign national, as easy prey. And in your case, you were still in yes. the country. So essentially you had yes. these criminal charges levied against you as a way to pressure you, to extort you, to extract money from you. Or maybe they thought that you would have family yeah. or other people who would bail you out of this situation. Yeah. It's unbelievable that that can still go on while at the same time we have the Australian government not even warning citizens about it. It's astonishing. So well, this I was, I mean, absurd that you have been put in this position, you know, for someone else's a, financial problems. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I mentioned to uh, our uh, uh, embassy uh, personnel and also to uh, Daniel Ross, uh, warn him about all these things, which I gained a lot more understanding and knowledge while I was in a prison with the other prisoners, what happened to them. Yes. Like a classic example, Jonathan Nash. Yes. Uh, and I said, in short, also for you, and uh, uh, I'm telling you this to cut the story short, I said to Daniel Ross, if any Australian businessman wants to come and do a business, the simplest way to find out exactly what the system is in here, tell them to write a check, a small amount, <laughs> and give it to the friend, bounce it, and come inside the jail, spend three, four weeks, you learn a lot about the judiciary, about exactly what's happening in this uh, place. So, I mean, tell, tell us... That, uh, go on, go on. And after that, let them to decide if they want to do a still business in Qatar or not. <laughs> because the day you put your foot in this coil, in this land, in this ground in here in Qatar, and you got a sponsor, your life is no longer belong mm. to you. Mm. It's your life is belong to him. Mm. You are on a leash and he's holding a leash. And the simplest things to put you in a jail, what they did to me, to make the case as a runaway. Right, an absconding and case. They arrest you, they get you, without 
into the public prosecution or explain or make a statement why you go in the prison. Once you end up in the prison, then everything is up crumbles. If you got, like me, I had a guarantee check uh, to the banks for the project, for the company, not my own personal check. Mm. That's when we get facility, we assign a project to the banks and particularly the projects of government project, it's relatively easy to get the facility. And also, in addition to that, the sponsor also signing the guarantees as well. I end up inside, but he's not run free. Yeah. But the way he put me in, his, in the jail, he made the first case as a runaway. And Lord, when the, I was 7.30 in my office, and they called me to come and discuss some business. Yes. We have a cup of coffee. And that was history. They arrested me then. And I got a witness. Well, one of my uh, employees was with me, came, came with me. And when they got me to 4 o'clock in the morning, they've been hammering me, and I went numb. Just my brain was went numb. And they threw me in this damn a place, God, it was a, I don't know, 50, 60 people in uh, two small rooms. Mm. And two days later, they told us to the public prosecution, and the guy he was running, uh, uh, writing, based on the statement they got from the police. And I've been asking what's happening. They be, the guy was talking, or prosecutor, just quiet, everything is okay. and. That, you know, to finish, I said, sign. As I said, again, I was numb. I don't know what's going on. He said, you know, it's for your own benefit. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and I signed it. So that was it. And uh, went to the courts, and I got three months for that. Three months, and that was enough to the whole things to collapse. So that, that, that was three months for... Abs absconding essentially so that's absconding, absconding yes so absc absconding is because you need the permission of your employer to leave the country or your business partner in this instance um well generally speaking yes you at that time you need the uh, approval from your sponsor to give you exit permit yes. but they make this case as a runaway to put you in the jail Yes. Put a case against you. That's the, one of the tricks. So it was a manipulation of the system there. Yes. They, yes. they wanted yes. you in jail, and this was a very easy way to do it. And they wanted you in jail so well, that they could put I pressure. Once I the jail, that's right. They guarantee checks, don't the bank, find out. And besides, mm. free uh, uh, payment uh, claim we made to Qatar, uh, two of them to Qatar anyway, another one was uh, at the last gas uh, petrochemical uh, place in here. And the money came to the bank and he instructed the bank to stop the payment to go to the working account. Mm -hmm. He really squeezed me in there. I mean, so much got to tell you, but it takes too much time. Of course. Uh, let's move on in uh, so when you, I mean, yeah, when you, 
when you uh, faced these issues and, and you were basically targeted by your local business part, partner, who's also a member of the Qatari royal family, you ended up in prison and you were there for a, yes. a substantial amount of time, weren't you? Now, he wasn't, well, you can't call him partner, a sponsor. Um, he was scamming a two and a half percent of the gross contract. Right. By doing nothing, just this, your response. Yes. Um, that's also illegal. As a Qatar law, it's illegal. Then the last project, he changed it to 5%. And I argued him, why the earth 5%? And why are you telling me now? Because at that time, already I gave Qatar away the uh, uh, big bond. Mm -hmm. I couldn't withdraw. I said, you could have told me before I would submit the prices. So I could have increased it. It just look at the, looked at the world. Mm, mm. Uh, it, uh, it, anyway, as I say, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, there is, uh, certainly. And, I mean, the legal cases have been absolutely horrendous. It's taken you a long time to get where you are, and we're still not complete. But... Um, uh, I mean, you were you were detained for quite a long time, and we were talking when you were back in the prison then. And I mean, yes. one thing that I wanted to get across is, although the Australian Embassy was in touch, and although they they did some work on your case, I just don't think that their diplomatic efforts were strong enough. Because in other cases, we have seen other countries be able to secure the release and the prompt release of their citizens. Um, so it was disappointing to see that the Australian um, efforts weren't strong enough to really get you home in a, a faster manner. Of course, you're not, you're not in prison right now, and that's fantastic, but it's still not a substantial enough achievement. We still want to see you home in Australia. But I just want to, for our listeners who are imagining what the conditions were like when you were in this uh, prison in Doha, and I know that you were suffering tremendously uh, when we spoke and you were in and out of hospital and you were uh, certainly relaying the terrible conditions that you had to endure there. But could you, just for our listeners, go over that in a little bit of detail? Well, if I may first, uh, what you mentioned about uh, our embassy, they did some work. No, they didn't get involved any on any uh, things related to the judiciary system. They mm -hmm. said that we won't get involved with that. Only area they used to telephone uh, the prison if I had to go to see, uh, go to the hospital or get my medication. Right. So they did Basically, the bare minimum, what you would expect from any embassy, even the Nigerian embassy. Okay, that's very disappointing. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have anything against, as I said over and over against the guys, uh, the, the embassies, uh, uh, diplomats or the, the people who visited me. Mm. I know their hands are tied, they're following the policy. Well, uh, not, not so much because, I mean, this is not a, a usual legal process. This is not, you know, the, the United Kingdom or America. This is Qatar and they're not following their own laws. They're not following laws that are supposed to be there to protect you, and that's just because of the local Qataris having influence over the judicial system. And when it is a case of injustice, 
The Australian government absolutely has every right to get involved on a diplomatic level. And just saying that they don't get involved, it's our policy, that's just fobbing you off. Deliberately, they told me they're not getting involved with the judicial system. Even at the time of the corona, which, uh, you know, appeared and uh, all the government office that become restricted, as you know, I was outside, I couldn't. I begged them, at least you guys send a letter. Yeah. I begged them even send your driver. Yes. Because he's got the embassies, I did an notification, they might let me in so I can submit my applications. Yes. No, no, I said that's against the protocol, you cannot do it. Right. So that is uh, uh, for the embassy. And now is 10 months almost has gone by, I never had a single telephone call from them. Just the, you know, curiosity or, or, or uh, you know, to have it, <laughs> just care. To check to up on you, yes, dead. see if there's anything I'm, that they I'm can do. I'm still alive or dead, mm. I'm still mm. here or gone. Yes, because uh, it's, it's not like there are that many Australians in Qatar, actually. It's uh, one of the smaller... Uh, Middle Eastern destinations. Exactly, exactly. There's not that many people to check on. Um, So anyway, back to the prison conditions, if you could just let... Yeah, we go back in the prison condition is absolutely appalling. Mm -hmm. Uh, You constantly under humiliation uh, by the police guard or Mm -hmm. by the superior Mm -hmm. uh, treat you just... uh, I wish I was just a dog or animal, mm-hmm. even they won't pick animal uh, like that. <clears throat> I mean, the right front of my eyes, the guy had a six sense in his heart, was complaining, and uh, nobody came to uh, attend. Uh, what's the problem with him? And he just got dead. Mm-hmm. And 20 minutes later, a nurse comes. And I've seen with my own eyes this in front of me, the man died. Mm. And also people in prison with the uh, bed sheets behind themselves. Mm. I've seen people coming from waist down, uh, crippled, which is they had a stroke, uh, can't move, can't go even to bathroom. Mm. They throw him in and they close the door. Incredible. People with a half of their body. Mm. Uh, you know, love worse than me. I had a stroke, had a heart attack, and so sick and old. They, they just opened a steel door and in. They don't come, and they just got left in there, and the prisoners got to go and to their aid. Mm. Absolutely. That's one side, and the other side is 18 people kept in one room. Uh, a, it's a hygiene, it's, it's a disgrace. You've got German cockroaches, rounds we beg, you know, for mm-hmm. a spray. They don't give it to you. And also you're locked in. Uh, uh, over the weekend, uh, which is Friday and uh, Saturday, during the week, one hour, in the morning, they let you to go outside to see a sun. Mm. 
Mm. Only uh, Ramadan, in the holy month of Ramadan, supposed to be holy month and compassion month. It's the worst month of the time you spend in jail. For six weeks, you don't see the sunlight. You part in. Wow. And they serve two meals, two meals a day. One is sunset after Avan, and another one is two o'clock in the morning. Mm. That's it. So you'd, ex you'd expect this time to be kind of where you would be treated better, actually. So that's a surprise that you were treated worse. No, no. And yet majority are non-Muslim in there. You know, you get Indian, Nepalese, Filipinos, mm. you know, few odd European as well. You know. And so, I mean, what are you hoping? When, I know you've got the court case coming up on the 20th of December, and obviously your family is going through a very hard time and they, they have been for a number of years. I've been in touch with them and they've spoken to the media and they've tried to activate some Australian government support. How are they coping? Well, as I said to you, my daughter, my oldest son, uh, basically they lost it. As I say, the, 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 the mother's incident and my situation, when that happened, that, that was it. And my daughter was, you know, constantly visiting a uh, doctor. And as I said, just now, I, since I'm out, I, I can talk to her. She's coming around and giving her hope that soon I should be home. Yeah. <coughs> Definitely, they suffered a lot. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, but, but we're hoping that as a result of this case in December and with some extra pressure on the Australian government and from the Australian government, who I believe will have to step up now. They have been given every opportunity. They haven't stepped up. Now we're, we're putting a lot of pressure on them to the point where if they don't stand up for you and they don't help you, you would be well within your rights to take legal action against them in Australia for failing in their duty of care to protect you from this sort of judicial abuse abroad and to also warn Australian citizens. I mean, what would you say to Australia what would you say to Australian nationals who are considering traveling to, to Qatar or coming to work in Qatar or possibly opening a business in Qatar? You said earlier, come and try the bounce check system, write a check and see what happens. But what would you say to them? Would I mean, obviously you're you're not going to advise them that Qatar is a safe place to do business. What would your warning to them be? Well, the warning is uh, absolutely regarding do business. Absolutely, it's not a safe place at all. Uh, even you go to the, for instance, on the weekend, you go to the bar, uh, have a meal and have a couple of drinks. You come out and walk out of the bar and do you know, the uh, secret police are standing there and they come and grab you. If you don't have the receipt that you've been drinking in the bar, you can't be arrested and you will be put in a prison. Now, is this a safe society? Well, certainly not for Australians and certainly not no. when the when the law no, is no. so arbitrarily... European, no. Yes. No. What Western is no. It's... it's, it's uh, uh, it's a nightmare. 
It's I'm going to tell you, if anything happens, you are in nightmare. To get out of it with the judiciary system, which is I'm experiencing, and I've got the experience about it. It's a nightmare. It's a judicial system is a Disneyland. Yes. The judicial system is a Disneyland. You don't even have access to it. You can't even access judgments that are entered no. against you through the courts. The Australian Embassy is not going to help you at all, it would seem. And you can be locked up. I mean, you could have been locked up for the rest of your life. And, uh, and at any time now, even now, okay, you're not in prison right now, but at any time you could be again. It's that random and it's that arbitrary in Qatar that yes. it's a huge yes, risk. Nothing, nothing predictable or nothing in Qatar that you can predict. Exactly. And that's why that's you know, it's so important at this point. important things everybody should know. Mm. And, uh, you know, if something is, as I say, your response that doesn't look about you, uh, God help you. Exactly. I just, I don't wish it on anybody. No. Now, again, back to the Australian uh, embassy, even I asked them a simple letter to send to the ministry. That's where I am. That's what I've done. I submitted document. What is the progress? Just ask for progress. I'm not asking you to go and fight for me. Ask what is the progress. At least they know somebody is looking over my shoulder. So yes, exactly. Somebody so you asked. So you asked the Australian um, consulate there to request an update of information from the court. You're unable to yes. get it yourself, and so far yes. they haven't responded to you. Yeah, they've refused. refused. That's incredible. Yes. Because this is not interfering in judicial system. This is simply helping no. out a system. No. That's what I said. Yep. Just ask simple things. Request. What is my situation? Uh, what is the latest or what did I uh, just ask them it's absolutely incredible and often it takes you know a, an MP a member of parliament to seriously criticize that person and sometimes even open it as a, a question a parliament question in this situation where you've got an embassy completely ignoring their role and that is part of their role to help you out in this particular situation not to go to lunch not to go to coffee that's a, a small element of their position when they have a situation like this where you can't even get access to a judgment and you certainly can't get a lawyer to represent you at this point either you know you you totally at their mercy and you're asking them to find out about a judgment and they can't even do yeah. that that is negligence pure negligence and they're really breaching yeah. their duty and, of care another thing our embassy is within 200 250 yards from the court so they could the walk, they could leave the embassy they could walk around the corner and they could uh, get a copy of the judgment time, yeah the time i had a difficulty to get into the court because again i have no id and you have to have these things in your telephone mm -hmm. that you're green you can go and you have to make an appointment which is i couldn't do it because i got no id yeah and i asked them for this matter also to send your driver 250 yards to, you know, to the court shows his things so I can go into the court. Is it much to ask? 
No, that's a protocol because the Corona, we can't send anybody anywhere. That was this one. Mm. Certainly. So they've been less than active. However, we're in touch with them now. We'll, we'll wind it up and what we'll do is we'll uh, speak to you again on a regular basis and, and keep everyone updated because this is a yeah. case we, that all Australians need to be following. And especially right now, we've, we've just had this, you know, sexual assault allegations on the, uh, regarding the plane. Yes. And, and Qatar is kind of on the spotlight. It's on, it's on the radar. It's got FIFA 2022 coming up and they really are taking endeavours to market and inspire investment in the country. So we definitely want to be following this case and we certainly want answers from the Australian government now. So we've got media who will be contacting various yeah. representatives of the government this week for updates. And I think we should yeah. che check back in here before your court case and obviously after that as well. But in the meantime, yeah. I mean, thanks for joining us on here. Yeah. Let me I mention another things. Another thing I find about these Qataris, when they see you suffering, they enjoy it. That's, that's how brutal. So it's kind of it's kind of a sport. Yes, I, I know what you mean because yeah. we, we see this in other cases uh, as well. We, we've actually got another Qatar case involving a British national. And certainly the people in a, in a similar situation to yours where we're talking local sponsor issues and they're certainly really enjoying their time tormenting him. And uh, there, there's been some yes. ver very naughty goings on there of them really enjoying it for sport. And there have been some actions that we haven't released yet, but we, we will soon enough that they've taken yeah. that really show how much they're enjoying basically detaining yeah. this person in Qatar. So, I mean, we have three people right now um, that we're directly dealing with, three uh, businessmen like yourself in Qatar. And of course, there's other cases as well of, you know, workers and, and human rights violations. But then we've got three business, um, well, entrepreneurs essentially, who have run into problems with their local sponsors or business partners. And absolutely, in all cases, they are really enjoying the torment that yes. they are that absolutely it really is a sport well i can write a number of books uh and uh, about this place uh for instance you go to the court in the ground floor to submit your application you have to go see the judge it's a nightmare and they got all these incompetent untrained people behind this uh, counters and uh, they just keep passing you around passing you around it's it's like a, a nightmare isn't it i mean we well, we, it is. we see hollywood movies about countries like thailand or you know being arrested for a drugs allegation in in one of these asian countries and we've, we've seen a couple of you know, uh, Midnight Express and that sort of thing. But no one has, no, no one's made a movie about the UAE system, the Qatar system, or what it's like for foreign nationals to be locked up in the Gulf region. Now, I'd certainly like to see that, but I imagine the Qatar lobbying efforts are throwing a lot of money at um, Hollywood and, and US government to quieten, you know, this this sort of exposure, but it definitely needs it. We need to see these books. We need to see documentaries and movies about how people can be banged up abroad um, through no fault of their own. We're not talking about people who have committed a crime, who have imported drugs or, you know, uh, committed an assault or a murder. We're talking about people who have literally committed no crime and, and still face this. Uh, by the way, you mentioned that 
it's uh, uh, what you call the uh, corruption. That's also another rotten thing that is in here amongst themselves, even Qatari or the Shay. The corruption is deep-seated issue. Yes. Oh Lord, that's that's another thing. And that that and that kind of ball, thing. Mm. You don't play the ball, and um, you can't get in a deep trouble. And that takes uh, decades to sort out. I mean, yeah. So it, that sort of society—that that's what it is. Absolutely. Uh, and it's certainly a system you don't want to get caught up in. So, no. I mean, that—that's Joe Sarlacc's warning to Australians and uh, to any entrepreneurs absolutely. and investors. Absolutely, there are better places in the world to go. Yeah, and absolutely. Until there are safeguards and, and until we can guarantee the safety of foreign nationals, yeah. Qatar is certainly not a safe place to do business. And while Joe I is mean, still there as well. Yeah. I mean, look at the justice things happen to our, uh, you know, uh, ladies uh, in transit. What has happened to them? This That shows you how civilized these people are and the thing is that that nothing would have happened with that nothing no consequences would have occurred to those involved except that the international media was outraged about it and that's the problem yeah. unless you can generate yeah. enough international outrage at your particular personal situation yeah. you could see yourself rotting in prison for the rest of your life it's all about how much interest you can generate on a particular case and of course the australian women that's a big one um, but an individual businessman or an individual tourist, you're going to have a much harder time yeah. trying to generate that outrage. But, you know, it's promising yeah. to see that Qatar did respond to that, that they do care about their reputation. And so I really think that they need to be looking at these entrepreneurs, these businessmen and people who go to Qatar and give the country a go and haven't done anything wrong, bring their skills and their money and uh, and they're treated this way now that's just going to be terrible for the long-term reputation of qatar and they can't repair that kind of damage overnight yeah this country runs by expats without the expat within two days this place goes to the rot absolutely no electricity be produced no desalination plane would be working nothing everything be, you know comes to the dead stop Qatar relies on foreign labor, it relies on foreign yes. skills and foreign commerce. And yet that's what how they treat the expats. Absolutely. Uh, well, hopefully this is going to, this case, your case, along with the uh, yeah. two British nationals well, who are also getting a lot of attention, hopefully this is going to be the start of Qatar realizing that they can't get away with treating foreign nationals like that. I hope, I hope so. But and, at um, the moment my body is really now it's about 16 months of this i haven't been seen a doctor which i've got to check for the medication change as you know i've got four stents in my heart and i haven't been able to see it uh, go to the hospital or even private clinic because again no ID. You don't have your ID. And this is a ridiculous no. situation. We're bringing that up with the ambassador uh, this week. So we'll see what he says in response to that. Um, I've got other issues like sugar diabetes. My blood pressure is constantly as nice as up. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And my eyesight. Yes. Desperately, desperately, I need to see the eye specialist. And this is a real and disgrace that Australia would just let you, you know, stay in that position. You can't even get private help, uh, private medical attention because of your ID. That's something that they could resolve. That's something that they could resolve. And that's have no ID. Absolutely. Can't get even in the bus. <laughs> and and this is a human rights issue. This really is a human rights issue. It's something well, that the mostly, yes, go on. I want to yeah. Mostly, I want to say the way I see it in today's world, the commerce comes first, and that's what's out of Absolutely, but that comes. I mean, that changes when uh, the Australian government is under threat of litigation against them, and when the media is outraged by the Australian government. So that's something that they should consider as well. But thank you so much for joining us, Stuart, and it's so good to hear from you. And again, I'm grateful to you for all the effort. That's what you're doing. No, it's um, my pleasure. I hope uh, out of these things, whatever I went through, uh, particularly our nation, Australians become aware of it, of these sort of places, uh, do some good. Absolutely. And I hope yeah. that, uh, that we soon get to have a celebration when you're home in Australia. Well, I never give up the hope. <laughs> I always think positive, despite all these problems I've got because the other side is too dark. So Absolutely. I mean there's still the side I can see some light I better you know fight on. Perfect. Let's keep that light. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Alright Joe, so we'll check in with you again next week. But thanks very much and it's great to hear from you. And a uh, warning thank to you again. My pleasure, and my pleasure. Thank you again for all the support. <laughs> and you take good care too. I will. Alright, take care Joe. Speak to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Wonderful to speak to Joe Sarlacc directly, who's had to endure so much as a result of his decision to go to Qatar. He's ended up becoming an example of why entrepreneurs, investors and expats are unsafe in Qatar and should avoid doing business in the region. Now, as we saw in the case of Hakim Al-Arabi, the Australian football player who was detained in Thailand on an extradition request from Bahrain, the very country that he sought asylum from. And we saw how pivotal the media's role was in pressuring the Australian government to in turn pressure Thailand to secure his release. So I'd also like to give a special thanks to Sarah Swain of the Nine Network, who has been playing quite an active role in investigating uh, Joe's plight and in contacting government personnel and requesting their response and intervention. In situations like this, when we see our nationals suffering, what are grave human rights violations against them that warrant not only Australian intervention, Australian government intervention for their citizens, but also United Nations interventions? It's situations like these where citizens actually rely and depend on media interest and for journalists like Sarah to stand up for citizens and to expose and raise awareness of their case.
We'd also like to thank Amnesty Australia for getting involved in this case and also for raising awareness and supporting our endeavours to secure Joe's freedom. We'll be keeping you updated on progress in Qatar. We'll be supporting Joe and wish him all the best for his court hearing on the 20th. And we implore the Australian government to get involved on a diplomatic level with Qatar authorities and we implore the Qatar authorities to review Joe Sarlacc's case and finally release him, let him come home to Australia. Thanks for listening to the Gulf Injustice podcast. I'm Radha Sterling. Thank you for listening to the Gulf Injustice podcast.